It is good to be with you again two weeks in a row, and I appreciate you uh, showing uh, Pastor Eric some grace, and uh, they're planning for a series to start next week, and uh, so we thought before we start the series, and the series happens to be on uh, neighboring and our power and connection with each other, we want to take a couple of weeks and talk about the you, the you that's going to walk into the room, the you that's going to be a part of the small group. And uh, just take a little while to make sure that we're not just on the same page, but to make sure we can sort of be as healthy as possible. So before we get into a series and start to, you know, like encourage us to run together, uh, maybe there's a few of us who still need a little bit of mending, mending of the heart, mending of the spirit. And so that was the idea of these last two weeks. We use this overarching theme about one and not the same. Uh, and the graphic that you see there behind me is this, you know, probably a concert. Everybody's hands are raised. Everybody's into it. And then there's this one person uh, there with the hoodie. And uh, he's not feeling it. He's not seeing it. He's wondering what everybody else is feeling. And so that was sort of the image that we talked about these, these two weeks were to, uh, to, to single out the one on the, on the edges uh, because as a ministry, we don't want to lose anybody. We want to make sure everybody is as healthy spiritually as they can be moving forward. We don't want anybody falling through the cracks. At the same time, we understand that uh, Virginia Hills is a growing church. Um, probably talking about in the next few weeks, even maybe an additional service to accommodate uh, the, the, uh, the upward trend that we're seeing here uh, in the growth. But sometimes in a growing church, some people can sort of get uh, not forgotten about, but, you know, it's just, it just happens. Uh, we, we, you know, not being able to tend to everybody, and yet we want to. And so the idea of the last two weeks was to take some time to just say, how are, how are you doing? Uh, personally, individually, and what's that you that's go- that you're going to take into that uh, into that small group or or into that uh, into that group? So I want to share with you what I believe is a thought or a passage of one of the one of the greatest safeguards that you could have in your life. One of the things that will bring the greatest amount of healing to your heart, no matter what the struggle is or the challenges that you've seen in your own life. We find it in this little letter called Jude. Jude is that little letter just before Revelation. So if you find the book of Revelation at the very end, you just look in front of Revelation, and here's this little letter, not even any chapters. It's just this little letter, the letter uh, of Jude. Jude was, and I thought about singing this morning a couple of bars of Hey Jude, and just sort of getting everybody in the spirit, but then I realized I would rather have you laughing uh, with me and not at me. And so uh, I, and, and then I thought, you know, I've never really looked into the lyrics. So this morning I'm up whistling and humming, hey Jude. And then, uh, and I thought I should probably look into that because, you know, who knows what I'm singing. I've never really thought about it. It's just got a catchy little tune and we all end up, you know, in this, you know. And so I looked at it and I'm still really not for sure what the lyrics said. Uh, after, after I looked at it, I'm not for sure who Jude was or is. Um, but uh, but I, Jude in the scripture, is Jesus's younger brother. Now he had a couple, of, he had more than uh, this one. He had a, a brothers and sisters, the scripture says. These are earthly brothers and sisters. He was obviously firstborn, born of, a, born of God himself, uh, all of that. But then Mary and Joseph continued to have uh, children, which would have been his earthly brothers and sisters. Judah's one of them. 
probably younger than James. And he mentions that in the very beginning. He even refers to himself as the brother of James. But then he says that he, but then in honor of his Lord, talking about Jesus. One of the greatest uh, one of the greatest evidences of a resurrected Savior is because his own brother refers to him as Lord. What would it take for your brother, for you to refer to your brother as Lord? You're probably thinking right now, my brother thinks he's the Lord. And then what would it take for you to serve your brother as if he's the Lord? And that's exactly what Jude says, that he is a servant of the Lord. And he's talking about his earthly brother, Jesus, but he understood he was more than that. And so in this little letter, he gives us this one line that he builds, I think he almost sort of builds the whole thing around because it's the one line that you can take with you. And he talks about this idea of keeping yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Does that mean we can get to a place where there's not the love of God? That's not what it's talking about at all. So it's not as if, oh, over there, you can't, God doesn't love you over there, or God won't love you over there, but only here does God love you. No, God loves you everywhere. The idea is not God's love towards you. It's your understanding of God's love in your life and being embraced by the love of God. This is the idea here. So now he writes this letter, and it's interesting. He starts out to say, I was going to write about one thing, but now i got to write about another. Funny, right? I've started to write to you about this subject, but now I'm going to write to you about this subject. And the subject that he said he had to write for, he says, because there has been some people who have crept in unaware. I love that language. They crept in unaware. And they're a part of our, they're a part of our group here. And we didn't know when they slipped in here because they came in saying the right things, talking the right language or whatever, but we've realized now that they are a bad influence on you. And these people have been trying to push you in one of two extremes when it comes to the love of God. One is a toxic extreme and one is a timid extreme. There is this, and my, the image that I wanted you to have in your head was this gauge, right? Maybe you see it on the dashboard of your car, and it's, it, it's that gauge that tells you where you're getting the best possible gas mileage. It goes too far this way, and, you're, and it's not, and it goes too far under, and you're not. But boy, right here is the spot, and it's that spot where, where I want you to be, Jude says, for you to fully embrace as much as possible God's love for you, not that it changes, not that there's anything you can do to make him love you more, or there's anything to you to do to make to, for God to, to love you less. God, lo- God can't love you any more than he already does. It's already full-blown. And God loved you before, before you were lovable. The scripture says that he loved us while we were yet sinners, So the love of God is already there. The question is, are you embraced by that love and can you fully be embraced by that love? That's the greater question. The extremes focus on you. One extreme says, I don't know that I need God's love or God's fully sacrifice because I don't really see myself as that bad of a person. I understand the crucifixion, I understand the cross, I understand all that, but to be honest, I'm really not that bad of a person. So that's one extreme, and that's a toxic extreme, that's a toxic place to be. And that, that's where this crowd was trying to get these people that Jude comes along and says, hey, hey, you're being influenced by the wrong crowd. 
And then there was this other crowd that says, I don't think I'm good enough for God's love. One says, I'm not that bad. And the other says, there's no way I'm that good. I just can't imagine how God could love me. Dear friend, both of those extremes focus on you and not on the lover. You're focusing on the love e. The focus is to be on the lover. The focus is upon God. It's his capacity to love, not your capacity to earn it. It's, it's because of who he is. John said, God is love. And so when we focus on him as the lover, and then we just realize that we get to be a recipient of that love. And this is why Jude is saying, embrace yourself in that. Keep yourself right there in that spot, whether it's this, you know, this head knowledge and this heart feel. But keep yourself in a place to where God can love you. So both of them focus on, both of the extremes focus on yourself. I'm asking you to focus on the one that loves you. And that's God himself. So what Jude does is he, he singles out these, this bad influence. And he mentions, he says, he says, they've crept in. And he said, they're blaspheming. And then he says this. He said, they're unreasoning animals. Interesting, right? He said, they're running on instinct. And that's natural love. Natural love says, I love you. You love me. I do good to you. You do good to me. I like you. You like me. I like you a little more. You like me a little more. And eventually, we take this little bit of affection and we grow it into love for one another. But it's always conditional. Because if it's not being returned like it's being given, then it can also diminish. That's instinct. That's the... That's, that's the way you'd sort of expect humanity to act with each other because that's the way we treat one another. But there is this other kind of love from the Father. And this love is not based on your love for him. This love is based upon who he is. And it's that love that Jude says, I want you to clothe yourself with and embrace yourself in. Oftentimes, I've found out over the years with counseling with hundreds of people over decades of time that just the very reference of a father sometimes is a struggle for some people because if you don't have the right kind of point of reference for that, and so when you have some preacher or teacher standing up and saying, the love of a father, and your, and your frame of reference for that is not good, that's, that is a struggle for us to overcome. But that is a struggle that we can overcome. And I'd want you to know this morning that there is a love of a heavenly father. And maybe, just maybe, unfortunately, you haven't had a good frame of reference for that here on earth. But dear friend, your heavenly father wants you to know that there is a love that he has for you. And it's not because of your performance and it's not because of the stuff you do and the stuff you stop, don't do. It's because of you. He is all about you. He has this amazing love for you. And he wants you to clothe yourself in it and fully be embraced by it and not run on instinct, not run like we treat each other, but something totally different. He mentions these three characters and they're all from the Old Testament. And these are all bad examples of this toxic kind of a love. He mentions Cain and Balaam and Korah. Cain and Balaam and Korah. Cain was the one that said, I'll choose my own sacrifice. God said, the sacrifice you need is a blood sacrifice. Cain said, I think vegetables will do. Cain thought he could determine, because again, I'm not that bad. 
Balaam was that fellow that you can read about in Numbers chapter 22, but he gamed the system. Balaam was the one who, he understood sacrifice, he understood asking forgiveness, but it was just all a game to him. I'm going to go do my thing Sunday mornings, I'm going to come in, say a couple prayers, ask for forgiveness, have no intentions on changing, go right back out, live my own life. He just saw it as a whole big game. Korah was that uh, guy that ran up against Moses. And Korah, the reason that he rebelled against Moses was that they got so angry with Moses is he, didn't think, he thought he was as good as others. All again, this is all toxic. This brings all the attention on you, and I'm not that bad. Thank you very much, but I can manage. The scripture says that these kind of people or these kind of thoughts were like hidden reefs just under the ocean. And as a ship comes into dock, and if you don't know where those reefs are, you can find yourself shipwrecked. You don't see it right off the bat. And there's something about it that almost sounds like, yeah, that makes sense. This love back and forth. I love you. You love me. I do for you. You do for me. And we build a relationship on that back and forth thing. And yet, just under the surface of that, when you try to apply that to God, you're constantly running in a performance-based relationship with the Lord to where you think God feels about you, how you feel about somebody else who has maybe mistreated you or not giving into the relationship like you've been giving. But friend, we're talking about the love of God and how healthy, how much more healthy we'll all be if we understand that the object here, that the, the, the focus should be on him as the lover and not me as the object of it. I don't understand it. I, don't, I just don't understand it. I don't understand how he would love me that much to where he'd give his son to die for me, to have a relationship with me when I haven't earned it and I haven't been that great of a recipient of it and I haven't showed much appreciation for it. And yet he still loves me, so what am I gonna do? Am I gonna live the rest of my life like just sort of keeping it at arm's bay because I don't believe I deserve it? Or shall I not take it and wear it and, and be embraced by it and let it just cover me? And how might then, if I can be covered with that love and feel that love, how might I might be able to share that uh, then with somebody else? It said this crowd, this toxic crowd, that they didn't fear the Lord. And you might be thinking what I'm thinking. Well, then, isn't that sort of the other extreme, that timid? Uh, yes and no. It, it starts there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so if you're starting out this morning with saying, you know, Randall, I don't know that I deserve God's love. You don't know what I've done and where I've been and the things I've done to people. I do, I, hey, I'm with you. I don't know that I deserve it either. That's a good place to start, but that's not a good place to finish. For the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But notice this verse in 1 John 4, 18. It says perfect love or graduated love or mature love casts out all fear. So what it's saying to us is as we start with the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom, let us get to a place to where we're not acting out of fear from the Lord. Let us get to a place to where we do what we do because of his love for us and our love for him. It's one of the earmarks, it's one of the things that we watch in children growing up and becoming young adults, and they're sort of moving out of the child stage into the, into the young adult stage. And it's one of the earmarks I challenge parents when they're talking about, hey, now my kid's getting older, and how do I parent a, an adult child? 
you know, and there's not a whole lot yet I can do. So how do I know if they're developing well? How do I know if they're growing well? Here's one of the earmarks. It's, does, is the child motivated still by fear of punishment? Or is the child starting to interact with you based upon his love for you and you love, your love for him? When we're little kids, it's like, no, I don't want to do that because I know my mama would get me and she'd, she'd punish me. But then that should grow into, I don't want to do that because I love my mother. Do you see? One was I was fear, I, I, one started out of fear. I was motivated by fear. The, others, the, the other grows into, of course I'm not going to do that. Of course I don't want to do that. Why? Because that would, that would hurt the heart of my mother. That would hurt the heart of my father. And so now perfect love, when that love matures and it it matures the right way, then all of a sudden we're motivated by the love for each other. And that's where you want it to grow. So I say to you this morning, be embraced. Embrace and be embraced by this love of God. Wrap it around you. Walk around in it. Understand it more and more. You'll never understand it all. But there is this love of a heavenly father that he wants you to understand and to fully own. And then I love this. He says in Jude 22, he says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Because inevitably you're going to run across some people who they too don't feel like they deserve God's love. And here all of a sudden, it's not because, and and you're not walking around proud or pride filled now. You're walking around with a heart full of gratitude because you have a heavenly father that just loves you and you don't get it all and you don't understand it all, but man, it's there and I'm just going to wear it. I'm going to take it. And with that coat of his love on you, all kinds of healing and all kinds of hope can take place in your life and world. But there'll always be somebody else that you're walking around and they're going to doubt it. Man, how, what it's like for you to come alongside and say, I know, what you, I know what you're going through and I know how you feel, but I just want you to know that this love, isn't, this love isn't conditional. This love was spread out for the whole world before you ever showed up. And Jude wants us to find that place in our head and our heart and that's where uh, we stay, to be uh, embraced by it. This word picture that he gives here, and I love this in Jude 24, it's the same little letter. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. This idea of the Lord loves introducing you as his own. You ever gone somewhere and and your friend has another friend, and then you don't know their other friend, but boy, they want you to, and they, and they say, hey, 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 come here, come here, come here, I want to introduce you to somebody. And, they sh- and it's like they're showing you off, right? Hey, I want you to meet this person, and this person, oh, they've been this for me, and they've been that for me, and we go back a long way, and you're sitting here hearing all these good things that your friend thinks about you as, as that friend is introducing you to another friend of theirs. And man, that makes you feel good, Right? versus your friend sees another friend and your friend shies away from you because, hey, I don't want that person to know that I'm associated with you because I'm embarrassed of you. And so all of a sudden I don't feel really good and I need to run to the bathroom. 
Or all of a sudden, you know, it's like, let's try to avoid each other because I'm, it's like, and, and if you discover that, boy, wouldn't that just hurt your heart? It's like, you're, you're ashamed of me, you're embarrassed of me. Dear friend, God's not embarrassed of you a bit. He loves you. There, I mean, he's like that parent just waiting for you to ask how the kid's doing. So he can take out his phone and start showing you a whole bunch of pictures. You know why? Because he is all about you. He loves you. You're on his heart. You're on his mind. You're the apple of his eye. He loves to introduce you. And he wants you to feel that embrace. There's a story, you know it well, in uh, Luke chapter 15. It's a story of a father and, and, the, and, and, and two sons, and we call one of them a prodigal, which means that the prodigal went away. The scripture says that this young boy got to a place in his life to where he wished his father was dead, and he actually even told him so. He goes to his dad and says, Dad, I wish you were dead, but you're not, so can you still just give me my inheritance and I'll leave? The Bible says that his dad actually gave him what was coming to him. And that boy went out and left home and left his family and left all, all that he had and left his father with a broken heart and went out and spent every dime that his daddy had given him. And he spent it on riotous living, the scripture says. And he got to a place to where he was broken and completely busted down. The Bible says there was a time when the boy came to himself, came to his senses as he was starving and watching these pigs eat and as he was feeding these pigs, he thought, man, I wish I could just afford the slop that the pigs are eating. And he got to that kind of a place and he said, this is what I should do. I should go back to my father's house and maybe, just maybe, my father will, will let me live in the servants' quarters and just serve on the farm out there. I don't expect to be, to be welcomed back into his home after what I said and what I've done. The Bible says the prodigal son starts to come home and a far way off his daddy saw him coming, which leads me to believe his dad's been on the lookout for him. And the Bible says that his father runs to him and embraces him and hugs him and grabs him. And it's interesting, Luke tells this story in the language it was written was the original Greek. We translate it over into English and so it just says that the father... Uh, grabs or embraces or hugs, whatever your translation would say. But in the Greek, that word is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's a unique description of how the father embraces his boy. And I love the word picture of it. The word picture is of a lioness who captures a kill. And all of a sudden, she takes possession of that kill and when another lion comes to her to threaten to take what she has taken, that, that, that word picture of, of that embrace or that grip is when that lion sinks her claws into her own keel, hovers over it, looks up at the other lion and shows its teeth to back off. To back off to say, this one is mine. And that's the same word that Luke used when he was translating this story about when the father grabbed his boy and hugged him and was making this proclamation that this one's mine, mine. And he wanted that boy to feel that hug. He want, and I'm probably, maybe even that boy thought, oh my God, he's so mad he's trying to kill me or choke me. 
No, what he wanted him to understand was this wasn't some cordial welcome home. I figured you'd figure it out. And sooner or later, I know you'd come to your senses, a little pat on the back, and here's some rules that you got to step into. No, it was this grab and this hug and this tight embrace to say to everybody around watching, this one is mine. Friend, I want you to feel that. I want you to feel that from your heavenly father. And maybe if you've struggled with it over the years because of love or the absence of it in other areas of your life, it might not be the easiest, most natural feel to feel. But I want you to because that's the love God has for you. You're his, his. Oh, but you don't know what I've done. I get it, I get it, I understand it. But you don't know, evidently then, Again, it's not about you and what you've done. It's about him and who he is. He is love. And man, if you could embrace that and feel that and then pass that on to those who doubt, oh, what kind of healing and kind of help we could bring to the world around us. Last verse I'll share with you is my prayer for you. Paul writes this uh, to the church at Ephesus. And this is his prayer for them, and he says it this way, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend. I want you to understand something. With all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And to know, listen at this, I love this, to know uh, the love of Christ, which surpasses knowing. I want you to know something that I know you'll never get your mind completely around. And so because I know that what I want you to know, you can't get your mind completely around, I'm asking God to help you to comprehend it. Because this comprehension doesn't come naturally. This comprehension doesn't come by, oh yeah, I get it because I did these things that God loves me and I do more better things and God loves me more. I get, that's natural instinct stuff. That's animal kingdom stuff. Paul says to the folks at Ephesus and Jude says to that crowd he's trying to protect, no, I want you to understand something that doesn't come, that's not known naturally. You even need the power of God to understand the love of God. And once you then embrace it and can wrap yourself in it and to understand what you'll spend the rest of your life investigating, the rest of your life, the depth of it and the length of it and the height of it. In any direction you go, you're never gonna come to the boundary of it. Oh my word. Can you imagine, can you imagine what a church who is embraced in the love of God and knows in their soul the love of their father and has felt that grip of of your mind, your mind. And to be able to go out into this world, this town, this state, this county and able to share that with others. Do you think anybody else needs to feel that? Do you think other folks need to feel that grip, that hug, that embrace? Oh, friend, the world's dying for it. Let's pray this morning that you feel it, you embrace it, 
you begin to comprehend it even a little more. And then let us pray that we can go out and help those who doubt and show mercy on those who haven't felt it yet. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads, please, for just a moment? Let's pray together. Pastor Eric will come in just in a moment. We'll share a time of communion and another demonstration of his love. Not just for the world. We can get lost sometimes there. His love for you. You. Father, listening to my prayer right now are people who doubt it. Listening to my prayer right now, Lord, are, from, are people who are hurting. And, they, and they're not doubting because, Lord, of what they've done, but they're doubting it, your love, Lord, for them because of what they've gone through. And they have honest questions about where were you? And how does that work? And how does that, how does that line up with this kind of a message? Lord, I understand. I understand where they're coming from. Father, I pray that you would do a work right now in this moment with that dear person. I'm not asking, Lord, that dear person to take any step toward you. I'm asking you, Lord, to come to where they are. Show yourself strong on their behalf. Work a miracle in their heart right now to allow new life, new, a new light to come in, Lord, to where a dark place uh, has been. Bless in this moment in Christ's name. Amen.